Welcome to the Coach Fury Podcast. This is where fitness and geekdom collide. It's time to live long, be strong, and die mighty. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 84 of the Coach Fury Podcast. Uh, Today, you're going to get to hear me speak. I have been so focused on our dog Ramona's recovery from hip and knee surgery and getting ready to move into the dance studio, uh, bringing Fury Industries into the Brooklyn Center Stage Dance Studio down the block, that I really didn't focus on getting a guest. Um, But with that, I have been getting a lot of messages and people asking me about training from home and about how I found a spot for for my classes and how that's all going and how I went about it. So... I figured uh, we could talk about that, and of course, something massive happened. Two things, pretty massive. One, massively massive, and the other one, not as quite a, even remotely close a blip, but I know a lot of people are into it, is Endgame happened, and Game of Thrones, uh, the, big, the big battle happened. Let's talk about Endgame. Uh, I'm not going to go fully into it, because we need to have a special uh, Films of Fury Pod Squad episode to, to go through it, but I will say that I thought it was fantastic. I got incredibly emotional at four points, one of which being the end credit sequence. And not that there was any sort of gimmick or scene during or post credit scene, literally just seeing these actors uh, images and names and signatures come across, just realized how much emotional investment I've had in this and that they've had in it and that the crew, especially Kevin Feige, uh, the whole Marvel Studios crew have had in making this thing something really special. And it kind of blew my mind. Uh, I didn't have kids when Iron Man came out. And I can't remember the first one that I took the kids to. I want to say it might have been Thor Dark World. But comic books have been a part of my entire life. And now these movies have been a part of my kids' entire life. It's crazy. And to see it done, not just done, but done with so much love and affection and, and detail. Where even the least best of those movies is far above most superhero movies it's really outstanding so again um i loved it no spoilers uh go see it when we have a little bit more time has passed we're gonna have a pod squad episode where we dissect that like we did for uh infinity war and then you know let's talk about the other big battle that happened that weekend was the game of thrones the battle of winterfell and I need to watch this again. I don't want to sound like a hater, but from a, a film major perspective, I know everybody's joking about how dark it all was and how it was hard to see a lot. And I know with the Battle of Dothraki, that was like a very cool and heartbreaking visual to see the flaming swords die out. But I thought from an editing standpoint, it was a little all over the place. I couldn't really follow what it was. I mean, you're able to piece it together, but it didn't read as well. I saw one of my friends posted that that was better than the Battle of Helm's Deep, and I was like, you're crazy. Um, I love you anyway. I didn't post that because I'm really trying not to post any negative stuff. But uh, I thought it was a little messy, and I didn't think the end of The Night King was remotely as powerful or impactful as I thought it would be with all the buildup. But uh, again, I still really dug it. I just didn't think it was the hype that it could have been. Um, Whereas Endgame over-delivered, in my opinion. It was fantastic. Uh, so that's it on the nerdy stuff. Let's talk about what's going on in the world here. And I'm not going to talk about courses or anything. You can visit CoachFury.com. Um, I just wanted to keep this one pretty quick because I am moving into the studio on Friday. So uh, I wanted to get an episode out. And I wanted to help some folks. But this will be a, a shorter one, if not one of the shortest ones. So... The reason I started training people and move Fury Industries into the living room, and you've heard bits and pieces of this on previous episodes, but 
I had been training at Mark Fisher Fitness. I had been doing in-person sessions throughout Midtown, uh, going to you know people's homes or home gyms or apartment gyms, training some people at Catalyst Sport and training some people in my apartment. So in my apartment, Kim and I have a, a room that's an office, but it's also more than an office. It's a dedicated personal training area. It's pretty kitted out, pull-up bar, TRX, tons of bands, kettlebell, sandbags, Indian clubs, maces, all the various stuff you would... Not that maybe you would need, but the stuff that I teach for and the things that I use. And then we, between MFF, all of these sessions bouncing around the city in Brooklyn and the workshops I teach, I was just getting ground out. I, I wasn't having enough time for my friends and family, my family in particular, my, my wife and my kids, and I wanted to have more time for them. So... I thought I was going to do online training, and then I realized at a certain point I don't love online training, so I, I sort of started to back off of that, and I realized I wanted to do classes again. Not only was it something not rewarding, uh, I was making money online training. It's just that at a certain number, it feels like a mass market thing, whereas I found my sweet spot number, which tends to be between 10 and 15 people. 15 is max. 10, when I hit below 10, it's when I start sort of getting the word out. Um, that I'm looking for new people, but like kind of if I'm anywhere between 10 and 15, I'm not marketing it that much. But I missed classes, and I also thought classes could be a lead generator. So I went back to a gym in the in Brooklyn that is actually before I knew anything about fitness was the gym that I started working out in called Body Reserve. And I had talked with the owners. They were super cool about maybe renting space there and starting some classes, and maybe we build a semi-private training program. The gym had a lot of cool classes and some quality people, but the, the, the floor space itself was very much old school circuit training, lots of machines. Uh, there really wasn't much quote unquote functional fitness space. And I really thought we could bring something new to there. And so I started teaching kettlebell classes again, which I used to, that used to be the original home of Coach Fury's Kettlebell Club. And a few months later, you know, they were having zoning legal issue things uh, and they had to close down. And then just hearing my friend Brian Flynn's place had to close and I got kind of bounced around a little bit trying to find the right fit. And it was my wife, Kim, who was actually like, we are fortunate enough to have a big living room. Why don't you do classes here? Right. So that's what just brought me to teaching in the apartment. Uh, it was necessity. It was uh, I'm going to take control of this myself because these are the things I have to work with. So from a, a do it yourself perspective, a DIY perspective, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what I have in hand. Let's see what's the best thing I can make with this. Right. In independent film, when I was a film major, or I guess I still am a film major uh, or film grad. That's how you would handle your scripts and shooting stuff. Right. That's production. My previous career is production. This is what we have to work with. This is what we're hoping to do. What's the best case scenario? So within that, I started measuring out my living room with all the furniture in it and started to try to gauge, okay, what configurations of the furniture can I do that I can make the room a transformer so that relatively quickly it becomes a gym, uh, but then it also can relatively quickly, at least to some degree, become uh, a living room again. And with that, how many mats? Right. The first thing I figured out was how many mats can I get on the floor? How big can these mats be? How much are the mats? But, but size of the mats, total space, size of the mats, what kind of spacing I needed, because that would tell me total number of people. Now, within total number of people, I tried to figure out, OK, so if this is the max, like max number of people, this is the max amount of potential profit per class. And from that is where I started to scale and to work in my rate. 
right? So like, what are my membership rates going to be? Well, if I can only fit five to six people, that means it's X amount per mat, X amount per class, and then go from there on a monthly rate, if that makes sense. And so I have two foot yoga mats. I keep about a foot and a half space distance between each mat. So in here, comfortably, I fit five people. I can cram six in here. I gotta be honest, we only hit six people, I think three or four times in the 15 months we've been doing classes here. We have had several three, four, five people classes though. Four is actually quite common on a couple of them. So that's how I set my pricing. And I wanted it to be realistic. I, you know, I got to help really thank actually my friend Emily Grace, who's been on this podcast. Um, when I was bringing it into the living room, I, I my, my initial instinct is to actually want to make it cheaper because I feel like I'm letting people down. Like, hey, I don't have fancy eucalyptus scented towels. I don't have showers you can use. You know, it's not a fancy space. But what I did have was like my level of my experience of programming, my level of education on technique, and I'm also teaching classes. Like there's, I'd like to think I'm good at all of that. I don't know if you heard that my dog Ramona is like passed out having a nightmare right now or a dream. She's making sounds. Anyway, and it was Emily who was like, don't undersell yourself because you are letting people in your home to have expert level training. And that sounds egotistical when it comes out of my mouth, but like, if I look around the people in my neighborhood that are training, uh, I, I think it's fair to say, at least with the, within the realm of kettlebells, original strength, DVRT and Indian clubs, I can claim an expert level. Now, am I the best to be all end all in the universe? No, I'm always still learning. But look, if you're gonna train with somebody on those implements, uh, I have a amount of experience that other people aren't gonna have here. And I think I can back that up. So my rates weren't very cheap. I thought they were realistic. I think they actually, in hindsight, probably were cheap. And right out the gate through social media, I got eight people signed up. And, you know, started programming the classes. Now, let's talk about, you know, so that's how I figured out what my rate was going to be. And I looked at, like, other gyms and local studios, by the way. I should say I looked at what MFF was charging. I looked at what the local places around here were charging. And I tried to kind of find myself somewhere in the middle, but also how, based on how many people, if, you, if I just went class to class, if I matched a rate for a class that could fit 15 people, but I can only fit five, I'm gonna make it a lot less an hour. So um, keeping that in mind, right? Like what can you charge? How close to small group is it? So we were small group classes, uh, everything was pre-programmed. And uh, that's how I based how much gear I also needed to buy additional, additional gear. But with that, uh, very little overhead. Uh, some initial gear purchases. I upped my liability insurance. You know, the hard part of this is it's hard to get any sort of actual gym insurance when you're training from home. Uh, renter's insurance, if they find out you're doing this type of thing, will probably drop you. Uh, so I knew if something broke in the home, like uh, like the floor or a wall, uh, I was going to be on the line to fix that. There wasn't going to be an insurance policy for that. You know, but I did have liability for anybody that got hurt per se, right? So very little overhead aside from the initial gear purchase. And I went cheap. Um, you know, I got yoga mats from, I think like wholesaleyogamats.com or something like that. And they were 10 bucks a piece plus shipping. And there's some things I loved about them and some things I hated about the yoga mats. And, you know, over time we started introducing Indian clubs, bought some Indian clubs, got a few more bells off of Craigslist. 
and not much else. Some bands, resistance bands. I got foam rollers, but I actually don't use foam rollers much. I think that was just a holdover from being at MFF and being like, oh, people left the foam roll. Uh, uh, foam rolling serves a purpose. I don't think it's that important for my classes whatsoever, so I stopped doing it. We, we mostly do clearly OS reset type stuff. So there's how I structured, right? How much space do I have? How big are the mats going to be? How close can they be together? Um, and how much can I charge per hour for that? Based, blowing that out from a monthly membership. Four classes, eight classes, or 12 classes a month. Yeah? So I hope that follows through, and I'm not rambling on that. The next thing that I struggled with a little bit was programming. Because the cool thing, uh, one of the great skills at MFF of programming at MFF was I had to work within the context, the confines of Mark's rules uh, of, of how every month we can only add a couple of new things. And I think it's brilliant. I don't mean it like they were holding me back. But we also had a lot more other influences. And here I could really be like, these are the things that I like and these are the things that I think are important, what I want to do and introduce to the crew. So with that, when we started small, small, with very few people, um, not that we ever really got a ton of people in here, you know, I, I did a, started doing like a lot of quarter get-up stuff. And then what I realized was because the mats were only two feet, people weren't setting up wide enough. So like the mat was sort of dictating how they were setting up and creating incorrect technique. Uh, anything going to knee, half kneeling, you can roll up the yoga mat, but allowing for time for that was kind of a pain in the ass. And uh, people sometimes roll up the yoga mats and then they're trying to sort of struggle to clear their foot to get over it in either way. So I, I realized quickly that I didn't like programming that type of stuff. Um, if it was an isolated position, like tall kneeling, that's one thing. But if we were lunging and whatnot, it was a little different. And then I also realized that, like, even if they were going in good form, if we had four people in the room or more, it's like they were practically holding hands and touching toes. So I started backing off of programming some of the things that I wanted to do. Again, you work with what you got. You program smart stuff. You can always work around that type of thing. The next thing I did is uh, one of the things I did pick up from MFF, at the t uh, which is, is slowly going to change, was I, I didn't do any overhead pressing. We did a lot of push-ups. We do a lot of push-ups, a lot of kettlebell floor presses. Um, like I said, sometimes we still do quarter get-ups, but we didn't do overhead pressing because, you know, some people just can't press. And as much as we can run the race, uh, I didn't want even a small group environment to have to deal too much with worrying about shoulder mobility. It's easier to modify squats, hinges and stuff, raise the bell, limit depth. When you're going overhead, you have to have a pretty good damn lockout to uh, know that that's happening safely, happening safely. So, you know, the room, the mats, the size, the spacing, all of that sort of had an impact on the programming. And then since it was small group, we, we basically only peaked, at, have peaked at 13 members. I could see as a group what people were struggling with and what they were excelling at. So I would program E every four weeks um, to build upon strengths and weaknesses. Knowing that this is the living room and that the furniture is around here as well. Uh, the other thing I never programmed for were hand-to-hand -hand switches with kettlebell swings. So we do lots of swings, lots of one-arm swings. We've gotten into cleans. Crew's really doing great with all that stuff. But we don't do hand-to-hand -hand switching because just in case one bell flies, it's a much bigger deal. So if you're going to train from home, keep those things in mind, right? Like uh, personal safety of the, of the member, pers your personal safety, because now when bells are swinging in here, they're kind of at me. You know, I'm always still trying to find those offsets. And then also the safety of your apartment and the things around you. And even something simple as Ramona laying on the floor, making sure no one's swinging at Ramona uh, unintentionally in case something goes south. 
So that was the impact on programming. Over the year, I realized the struggle was the Fury crew loved it here, and I loved training them, and I got to see a lot of great progress and meet a lot of awesome people. I really didn't know more than one or two people, three people actually, I think, when they first signed up beforehand. Everybody else, you know, some neighbors eventually signed up, which is amazing. Um, but everybody else was kind of a referral, uh, largely thanks to Caitlin Lavelle, a.k.a. Optimus Prime, who's also been on this show. And But getting the word out is hard. You know, when when you're trying to invite somebody or hand a business card or a flyer out and like, Hey, come, I train out of my living room. You know, it, it, it you have to really respect a coach's uh, perspective and experience to think that that's a benefit as opposed to just some weird, cheap thing to train in a living room. Uh, certainly if the Fury crew grew to really respect it, I think they did out the gate, but really, you know, respect it and would bring friends in. But again, it's a weird sell to be like, I'm in a living room. There's no signage out there. It was very hard when I would reach out to companies or, or local businesses to try to do some like, you know, cooperative collaboration type things. You know, it's weird for somebody in the HR department to be like, oh, yeah, we're going to send employees to somebody's living room. No matter how skilled you are, it's not the same as having a facility. So I started really, truly realizing what those limitations were, as well as the longer I was here, the more I was starting to think somebody's going to lose a bell and something's going to go wrong with the, with the actual structure of the place. So with that. Uh, I reached out to somebody, a friend of mine about investing who had reached out to me uh, initially after hearing about me doing classes here. And we started talking and I started looking at spaces just to get a sense of what the prices are. And it's still a, a, a bit extreme. I met with some realtors and some actually landlords and people are interested in partnering up, but I, I, I don't always jive with where they're going. And I have a pretty open mind to it to a degree, but I, I'm looking at this not just as a money-making thing, I got oh, how many different revenues of money-making can be in there. I, I also want to have, a, a first and foremost, a quality control over it and then make money. Yeah. So in looking at spaces and trying to figure this stuff out and some really great conversations with, with people in the neighborhood, um, including my friend John Finn, who runs Birdman BJJ down the street from me. You know, John and I were talking. He was like, you know, you should really look into sharing space with somebody. Right. Unfortunately, John's place isn't viable. Uh, my friend Erica put me in touch with some people that run um, a, a business support organization for local Brooklyn businesses on Fifth Avenue. They had some great advice. And but ultimately, after having coffee with John, I was walking down my street, Third Avenue, and I passed, passed by a dance studio and I noticed their schedule had a lot of spaces, a lot of gaps. And I reached out via email and they were very excited to hear from me. And uh, that's how I came to be bringing everything to uh, Brooklyn Center Stage Dance Studio. Uh, Val and Heidi are super cool. And, you know, we, we the, the, the real struggle was fitting in the hours because they have a lot of stuff already booked in there. But there's room to grow. And I'm a consistent client now, a consistent leasee. So they have money coming in as well. So it helps them both. And the big thing was, is they're actually being awesome enough to let me keep my gear there. So there's going to be a bunch of kettlebells there. So I don't have to, I don't have to, um, I could do the classes here, but better. I have the space now where I have bigger mats. They're going to be four by six mats. We're going to be able to do get-ups. We're doing now the um, movement consultations for pressing to start to build into pressing and it's going to be more of like a combination between small group classes and semi-private training so i'm calling it small group training because we've been modifying or i've been modifying 
how I program things here for a lot more individual freedom to run your own race, not just in a one up, one down or two up, two down scenario, but in a more open way. So I found out like what the rent was going to be, how much my current membership is paying. I realized it was now I did need to do a rate increase. Uh, so I upped my rates uh, as a founder rate for the current members of the Fury crew. But then I also up my rates a little further for new members um, because now there is an expense, right, that I have to pay for. So I'm going to be paying a minimum of seven, eight hundred bucks a month for rent. And, you know, that's all coming out of my profit right now because I haven't had to pay rent here at the apartment. Um, so those were the big considerations in upping my rates and figuring that out. But I can also now have more people in there and have more opportunity to do stuff. Uh, and I'm very excited about that. And now I have a first floor business. I have two small posters um, in the windows of the dance studio. People will be able from the street. If they look in, they're going to see us working out and doing our classes. And it'll be a little easier for people to visit. And do we have space in the living room? Are they allergic to a dog? All that stuff's kind of gone now. And it's going to be a little more real. And I'm really excited about that. There are some things I'm going to miss. So you've heard me talk about the speakeasy of strength on the show. And that's what we've become. We've become this like secret awesome gym in uh, South Slope, Gowanus, Brooklyn. And I'm really going to miss that. This is the last week of it. It is uh, April 30th right now, May 5th. Sorry, May 3rd is the last day here. The last class will be the 1230 class before I move the, all the gear into the dance studio. And it is something special here. Uh, people have fought cancer in their time. People have lost relatives in their time here. People have gotten a hell of a lot stronger. People have gotten, um, have lost weight. Like all of those things, they've passed certifications. More importantly, we've all become friends and it's a real diverse, eclectic group of people and I fucking love them. And I love the time that we've had here. And as uh, uh, amazing as it, or annoying sometimes as it is having Ramona, having to try to keep her from getting hit with an Indian club, it's been really cool to be here, control the music, have my dog here, inviting people in my home to train to do the things that I love, but it's time to step up. So I mentioned, uh, so moving forward, um, I'm going to be doing the seven classes we do here, slight modification on the schedule. We're going to be doing seven classes there at the dance studio, pretty close to times. And I'm going to start doing some of my personal training there that I do here. Again, it's a little bit of an added expense, but I think for visibility's sake and for room to move, it's worthwhile for the for both me and the and the and the crew member going through who's training with me. And I mentioned that baseline now of like you know seven eight hundred dollars a month of rent. Well, as I grow and as I add more classes, there is a you know going to be a point where I'm going to be paying enough monthly rent where that makes it less of a risk for me to try to find my own lease or to partner with somebody without having to be a significant investment. So uh, I'm very excited about this. And I'm also um, getting very sentimental about leaving the living room as we've only got a handful of classes left here. I think we have five classes left here before we start at the studio. And but that's how it's going for anybody that was has been thinking about it or asking how I either started it here or where I went. I assessed how much space, how many spots I could fit what I need to make to make it profitable for myself, worthwhile to do. Um, and then I found the pros and cons of programming, the pros and cons of marketing and growing the business out here. And then I took the steps to look into what type of rental space can I get. And dance studios and yoga studios, I think it'd be great. Storing things like kettlebells is hard. Um, I think it's much easier if you were a yoga instructor or doing more body weight boot campy type stuff where you don't need to have gear or you just bring a bag of bands or something. 
But, you know, kettlebells and sandbags and Indian clubs are a big part of what I do. Uh, and, and that's what makes me special and what I think is special about uh, the effect my training has on people. So uh, I, I locked out that I got a good rate at this place and that they're going to let me keep my gear there. So that's really it. I don't want to keep this one going too long because there has been a ton. Ramona hasn't been letting us sleep very well and um, just trying to plan and market for this move. There is also something really big lurking in the background that uh, I can't announce just yet, but that's going to be coming soon on a future episode of the podcast. So I hope you guys are cool with this quick one. I hope you found it useful and not just a ramble. Uh, hit me up, email me, message me if, if you're trying to do something like this on your own. It, there, there is a realm, and, and I've been able to sort of redefine it for myself, of making this happen, where you're just not randomly renting an hour here or there or randomly bouncing around the city trying to make stuff happen, um, but really trying to grow my own business uh, with my own crew, my own Fury crew, uh, to make something that I think is special here in Brooklyn, uh, in the neighborhood that I love. So that's it for now, everybody. Thanks for this, uh, I guess, farewell to the speakeasy of strength. Uh, and in terms of the shirts, uh, people have been posting up shirts. They got their Ramona speakeasy of strength shirts off of Teespring. Uh, if you go to teespring.com slash stores slash Fury Industries or Google that, you'll find that uh, we made a special limited edition Ramona speakeasy of strength shirt with Ramona's picture on it. The money, the profit from that shirt goes to Ramona's hip surgery costs, which were pretty damn expensive. So thanks to everybody that bought that. But it was also a way to Ramona was such a special part of what we had here in the speakeasy of strength. Unfortunately, I can't bring her to the dance studio. So it's kind of a double edged win on that sword, uh, both raising money for a hip, but also to commemorate the about 15 months we've had here at Fury Industries. Um, so thanks, everybody, for listening to the show. Thanks for that have come to the class. It has been cool having trainers and, 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 and people come down just to see what's going on over here. And, you know, now it'll be even uh, better and easier to see us at the new space. So that happens starting Monday, May 6th. Thanks, everybody. That is it. Episode 84. Listen to me next week. Bye. The Coach Fury Podcast is created, owned, and produced by Steve Coach Fury Holliner for Fury Industries, LLC. Music provided by the FTW. Visit the FTW.nyc for band, tour, music, and merch info. Artwork created by Glenn Gurrieta. Visit glengurrieta.com. That's G-L-E-N-N-U-R-I-E-T-A. Or follow him on Instagram at Glenn Gurrieta. Voiceover by Laura Palmer.